The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as we are in the middle of the NFL Scouting Combine. That is going on up in Indianapolis. Trent Baalke was there today. You also had Doug Peterson in attendance today. We will hear from both Baalke and Peterson coming up here on Hacker After Dark as the Jacksonville Jaguars did a lot of things. Salary cap-wise, they have, whether you call it manipulated the cap, worked the cap, found loopholes, whatever you want to call it, they have shed a lot of salary to where that number of 20 to 30 million over the cap now is non-existent. You restructure Foye Aluican, you restructure reportedly Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Brandon Scherf, and the Jacksonville Jaguars all of a sudden appear to be not only under the cap, but pretty good under the cap. And uh, with a lot of room to work to try to get Evan Ingram back, a lot of room to work to try to get Arden Key back, and even potentially Jawan Taylor. We will have to see about that. But we got a ton to do tonight. We're with you till 10 o'clock, and we are certainly glad you are with us. You'll hear from Doug Peterson and from Trent Balky coming up in just a little bit here on Hacker After Dark. Coming up in just a little bit, one of my favorite guys this time of year to have on is Jason Fitzgerald. Well, you say, who's Jason Fitzgerald, Hacker? Well, let me tell you. Jason Fitzgerald is the founder of OverTheCap.com. This is his time of year. And we're going to talk to Jason Fitzgerald of OverTheCap.com about the Jacksonville Jaguars, about their salary cap situation, about what is going on with Evan Ingram, with Jawan Taylor, with Arden Key. And what about the free agent class as a whole? Is it strong? Is it weak? Is it right there in the middle? Basically an outline of the Jaguar offseason. Jason Fitzgerald, the founder of OverTheCap.com, he is coming up in less than 20 minutes. At about 8.40 or so, we're going to go to the state capital, Tallahassee, Florida, Irish Chauffel, Warchant.com. Two reasons I wanted Ira on tonight. Number one, Seminole fans, you start spring football practice on Monday. How about that? Spring practice for Mike Norvell in Florida State, less than a week away. But also, boy, Florida State not too happy with the Atlantic Coast Conference. You see Athletic Director Michael Alford last week to a Board of Trustee meeting talking about the disparity between the ACC revenue stream and the revenue streams of, say, the SEC and the Big Ten. He knew that would go public. He knew those comments would get out there, and they've gotten out there, and we're going to talk about where Florida State is with the Atlantic Coast Conference with Ira Chauffel of Warchant.com. That is coming up at about 8.45. In the 9 o'clock hour, Scott Johnson, my friend from Channel 4, he has a brand-new pro wrestling podcast starting up tomorrow that I want to tell you about. Give Scott that opportunity, so we'll do that in the 9 o'clock hour and we'll end with Mia O'Brien of XL Primetime. You just heard her also on Helmets and Heels as we'll talk Jaguars and Combine with Mia coming up in about 90 minutes or so. So as you can tell, 
We're absolutely jam-packed. We're glad you're with us every night on Hacker After Dark. We kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Oh, it is a big deal. It's a very big deal what the Jacksonville Jaguars have been able to accomplish here in the last, oh, I don't know, 24 to 48 hours. Restructuring contracts. It is what they have done, and they have done it very, very well, to the point that now Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke, they are in position to not only re-sign a lot of their guys, they are in position to maybe add to this football team. I don't think they're going to be big spenders in free agency, but they have found some money potentially to do some things in free agency. As we know, the huge, huge deal the Jaguars want to accomplish is they want to take care of their own. That means Evan Ingram. That means Arden Key. That potentially means Jawan Taylor. And with the contracts that have been restructured, what they have been able to do in restructuring said contracts, they are going to be able to potentially do that. Evan Ingram, I thought it was interesting from Trent Balky earlier today, and we'll play some of these comments coming up for you in just a moment. What was interesting about Evan Ingram is that if they can't get a deal done in one week, by Tuesday, March the 7th, you could always place the franchise tag on Evan Ingram. And I saw Trent Baalke today on the NFL Network, and he was asked, essentially, is Evan Ingram going to be a Jacksonville Jaguar next year? And he said, yeah, more than likely. So what does that mean? Well, I don't think Evan Ingram's ever going to get the free agency. I don't think he's ever going to hit the market. I think they're going to try to work out a long-term deal, they being the Jaguars, are going to try to work out a long-term deal with Evan Ingram by next Tuesday. And if they don't get that deal worked out, I think Evan Ingram is going to be a guy you could definitely see the franchise tag going on. Although I don't think it's going to get to that point. If I were a betting man, I would say Evan Ingram will be a Jacksonville Jaguar and will resign in Jacksonville in the next seven days. Arden Key might be the lucky guy in this whole situation. With the money the Jaguars have freed up, maybe they can maybe spend a little more on Arden Key than they initially were planning to. Don't want to go overboard, but potentially spend a little more money on Arden Key than was initially in their budget. Jawan Taylor is the one, the more people you talk to, the more conversation that there is, that's the one that you start to think he may not return. I think they want him back. You'll hear me, O'Brien, later talk about a contract that has been sent to Jawan Taylor's representatives. Certainly, they don't want him to leave. But you just kind of get the vibe that a lot of positive things you hear about Evan Ingram returning. You're starting to hear more positive things about Arden Key returning. I don't necessarily hear the same positivity when it comes to Jawan Taylor returning. Now, again, keep in mind, If Jawan Taylor leaves, you have Walker Little. If Jawan Taylor leaves, you also potentially have uh, Cam Robinson coming back. Not potentially, he is coming back. So Cam will be on the left. Walker Little, you move to right. You would need to replace Walker Little. You would need to find a new, quote, swing tackle. If Walker Little's your starter now, you need to find a guy that can 
back up both the left and right side. So there wouldn't need to be some roster additions if Jawan Taylor were to leave. But I think at this point, it's pretty obvious that they're not going to tag Jawan Taylor. That would be an $18 million price tag on Jawan Taylor. And for the life of me, I cannot see the Jacksonville Jaguars going that route. So if Jawan Taylor does not resign by Monday, March 13th, a guy like Jawan Taylor, 25, 26 years old, never missed a start in four years in the NFL, he's going to command good money on the open market. And you wonder if that's the one that Jacksonville may lose. And then you hope that Walker Little is the guy you think he is, and he can just slide over to the right side. Cam Robinson comes back in the left side, and there you go. There are your two starting offensive tackles. So we got a lot to do. I do want to let you hear a little early tonight from Jason Fitzgerald. Again, one of my favorite guests this time of year. There's a lot of websites that do this, a lot of good websites that do this, and we certainly bring you all of those perspectives. But when you think of these type of websites, you think of overthecap.com. That's genuinely the one that people refer to. And Jason Fitzgerald is the founder of overthecap.com. So let's talk Jawan Taylor. Let's talk Evan Ingram. Let's talk Arden Key. And let's talk about the Jaguar offseason. Let's lay a blueprint for what's going to happen the next couple of weeks when it comes to money, when it comes to the salary cap. Jason Fitzgerald, overthecap.com is next on Hacker After Dark. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Well, again, we're trying to keep the core together. And the core is not just frontline players. It's guys at every level of the 53. Every every guy on that team, when you're talking about 53 players, every one of those players is important. And CJ and Jermichael are two guys that are key guys in that locker room. They're key contributors, uh, not only on the, on the field, but in the community, within the, the leadership of the team. So there's a lot of things that go into that, but we're, we're glad that they're aboard for another two years and looking forward. We've, we've got a lot more work to do, as you know. Jaguar General Manager Trent Balky earlier today up in Indianapolis at the Scouting Combine. That was in reference to keeping the core of last year's team together, also referencing the re-signings recently of C.J. Beathard, the backup quarterback, and Jermichael Hasty, the third down running back. More from Doug Peterson, more from Trent Baalke in a moment. I got a confession to make, Denmark. I'm not sure if you noticed this, if you're uh, listening out there. After the show tonight, if you want to go back and take a look on YouTube or Twitter, by all means, feel free. Um, <clears throat> I am a guy, I wouldn't necessarily call myself Jack Nicholson in the movie As Good As It Gets, but I'm pretty obsessive compulsive when it comes to things. Like, I'll check a light switch a couple of times, Denmark. I know my garage door is shut, but I might have to circle the block one more time just to make sure the garage door is shut. So can you imagine what I just went through in that first segment when the mouse on my computer wasn't working? Complete anarchy. It was unreal. It was unbelievable. I mean, Denmark, I think you noticed it because you've known me for a while. I'm not sure if it came across as odd or strange in segment number one. But ladies and gentlemen, the mouse in my computer was not working, and I was about to have just an absolute fit. I didn't know what I was going to do, had no idea how the show was going to continue without the mouse. I've had many people tell me that you don't need a mouse when you have a laptop, and I say that's bologna sausage. 
That's absolutely nonsense. In fact, I did a poll on this once, mouse or no mouse when it comes to the laptop, and the mouse won. And it was Matt Hayes who I had the argument with. Imagine that. Matt Hayes said, no mouse. I said, no, you're wrong. People need a mouse with their laptop. And we did a poll on it back in the days when I was on XL primetime, and I actually won the poll hands down. So when I lost my mouse in that first segment, had the potential to be very, very bad. But what I did, I did what any guy that's non-technical would do. I just kind of dropped my mouse again really hard on the table, and it miraculously started working. Now, all is right with the world. I just need the mouse for another hour and 42 minutes, and I'll be good to go. Back to Trent Balky up in Indianapolis earlier today at the scouting combine because I can scroll now and see what he said because my mouse is working, Denmark. The Jaguars restructured a lot of deals. We mentioned Foye Aluikin, Christian Kirk, Brandon Sheriff, Zay Jones. Trent Balky earlier today talked about the benefit of restructuring those deals. Well, the benefits are you get a chance to keep a lot of good football players. And, you know, at, at some point, most teams in the league have had to do that. If you look at the number, I think there's only one team that hasn't pushed any money out into future years. You just got to be very diligent in, in the decisions that you make and who you make those decisions for. Yeah, look, they, uh, they've they now pushed money, certainly, in the coming years, but they have done masterfully at getting under this year's cap. The official numbers on Roy Robertson-Harris aren't in. You also have to factor in Calvin Ridley once he's officially reinstated. But the Jaguars have gone from being projected 30-plus million over the cap to being under the cap in the span of about four or five days. It's been pretty impressive what Trent Baalke has been able to do. Speaking of the cap, it's his time of year. Jason Fitzgerald, the founder of OverTheCap.com, he's a busy man, yet he took time out for us here on Hacker After Dark. Now... Hello. Another great guest on the Farah and Farah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farah and Farah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, the home of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and we are glad you are with us. The NFL scouting combine going on this week up in Indianapolis, and of course NFL free agency less than two weeks away. Negotiations can begin on Monday, March 13th. Penn can meet paper on Wednesday, March 15th. Let's go to a man that knows all about the salary cap for every NFL team. It's what he does. He runs a terrific website, overthecap.com. His name is Jason Fitzgerald, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Jason, how we doing? I'm pretty good today. Hey, Jason, always appreciate the time, particularly now, man. I know how busy you are this time of year. All right, let's dive right in. The Jaguars miraculously have shaved $40 million or so off their salary cap with restructuring of contracts in the last, oh, 48 hours. Uh, how was Trent Baalke able to get under the cap, I guess, so quickly, Jason? Well, you know, they, they had a lot of contracts of players who had uh, pretty large cap hits this year. Um, you know, Christian Kirk, Brent Sheriff, the, those kind of players. And what they were able to do was to go in there and take their salaries for this year that were also pretty high, uh, convert those to bonuses and prorate them over the course of the contract. The NFL allows you to basically take bonus money that you give to a player and divide it over the entire term of the contract up to a maximum of five years. 
Uh, so in Jacksonville's case, what they did is they, they actually added some what are called dummy years to a contract. They're years that don't actually exist, but you can kind of dump money in there anyway for salary cap purposes. Uh, so that's what they did with a couple of players so far. And, you know, now they're under the cap. And now the question is just how far are they going to push it this year? I would think pretty far uh, based on, you know, the the way that they got to the playoffs last year and the, uh, you know, upside that you have with the quarterback. Um, but, you know, you wait to see uh, how many other players they do this with. You know, the interesting thing is the four guys that have reportedly done this, Oluwakin and then today Kirk, Zay Jones, and Brandon Sheriff, all guys that got big money last year, did they necessarily need to do this? Are they doing this to help out the team? Take us through that process. Did the players need to do it, you mean? Yeah, I mean, um, did the players, I mean, they had to agree to it, obviously, but the, this helps the team for 2023. So, yeah, it helps the team for 2023. Typically, when the, the players first negotiate their deals, they, they give the right to the team to be able to do this. Uh, in this case, it was a little bit different because they added some void years on there. So they did probably have to get them to agree to it. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it really doesn't change much for them. They're still going to earn the same amount of money. Um, in the case of Zay Jones, his salary, actually his salary was probably guaranteed already for the year as well. Um, you know, so it it's, doesn't really impact them either way, but it, it certainly helps the team out because it gives them more flexibility for the year. Jason Fitzgerald, overthecap.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville another deal that got done over the weekend Roy Robertson Harris now the thought here was that he might be a cap casualty to save against the cap yet all of a sudden Jason we find out he signs a three-year 30 million dollar extension which apparently also clears up some more money for 2023 again I don't really understand that walk us through that process if you could so that'll be the same thing. So on his prior contract, he was scheduled to count for about $10 million on the salary cap. The reason most people thought he might be a cap casualty is because it would have opened up about $8 million in cap room had they released him. Uh, instead, they went with the option of extending him. Um, and what they were able to do with that, again, is something similar, where most of the salary you pay him this year will be paid in the form of a bonus. And that'll let them kind of divide that charge among across uh, five seasons. So, you know, that they can probably keep him on the team and instead of having him at a $10 million cap charge, uh, I don't have the full numbers for him yet, but, you know, probably at like a $5 million, $6 million cap charge. So I think they probably looked at that as a no-brainer to uh, kind of keep him on board if they can get him in at that figure. You know, you look at deals like this, Jason, obviously everybody a year from now here will be talking about a Trevor Lawrence contract extension how does moving this money forward and projecting it out over four and five years, what will that do to a Trevor Lawrence extension next year? Uh, it probably doesn't impact it too much. You know, I think right now what you're focused on, if you're Jacksonville, is you're just focused on this season. You're focused on making the most um, kind of out of what you have with Lawrence while he's on this rookie deal. Uh, you know, the, the way the veteran contracts end up working um, when you when you look at the Josh Allens and you look at the Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray and, you know, Lawrence will probably end up certainly in that type of contract range uh, if he continues to progress this year. Usually you have low cap numbers in the first two to three years uh, of those big extensions, even though the, the extensions might average close to 50 million a year. Uh, the cap numbers are nowhere near that. So Jacksonville really won't have to worry about his cap charges getting pretty high until, you know, something like 2026. And by that time, all these players will be off the team and, you know, you'll have a new set of players that you're bringing in. 
Jason Fitzgerald over the cap.com here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Jason, before we go any further, I want to ask about the impending free agents for the Jaguars. I know what overthecap.com is. I love it. I'm sure a lot of our listeners do as well. For the ones that are listening that maybe are not familiar, briefly explain that website and what you guys do. Sure. Uh, so, you know, we track the salary cap positions of every team in the NFL. That's the, that's the main thing that we do. So if you pop on the OTC, you can check out what we have for the salary cap numbers for every single player in the league. Uh, we have the salary cap positions for every team in the league. And we will break down where every team's or every player's contract ranks uh, within their position. So that can give you an idea when you're looking towards free agency. If we don't do a projection on the player, um, you know, you can at, at the very least look at the market for a specific position and say, okay, you know, he probably belongs somewhere in this range. And it gives you an idea as to, you know, what your free agents might be looking for if they want to uh, remain on the team. Jason, there's three guys that Jaguar fans have been very curious in since the season ended. We'll begin with Arden Key. Arden Key signed a one-year, one of those prove-it deals here in Jacksonville, and he basically did prove it. He was very good at times last year. Uh, certainly a guy that probably is going to command some money on the open market. He said publicly he'd like to stay here in Jacksonville. How financially feasible would it be at this point for the Jaguars to bring Arden Key back? Yeah, it probably depends on what he's looking for. You know, the, the Jaguars have other players kind of at that position. Uh, you know, he played, I think, probably about 40% of the snaps for them last year. He's more of a rotational guy. Um, my guess is if he would sign for something in that six, seven, eight million dollar year range, he'd probably, you know, stick in Jacksonville. I think if he's looking more along the lines of uh, nine, 10, 11 million, which is also possible um, for him to get if you have a team that's real bullish on him. Uh, I think then he would leave in free agency. And th this is not a great year for free agents. So that money might be out there for players like him that, you know, normally wouldn't project anywhere near the top of a market. Uh, but he might be looked at as pretty valuable just because there's a, a lack of free agents this year. Jason Fitzgerald over the cap.com. All right. The two big ones will begin with Jawan Taylor. Uh, it does not look like the franchise tag is going to happen there. That would be $18 million plus. The question here in Jacksonville, is it worth bringing Jawan Taylor back when you do have Walker Little on the roster and you get Cam Robinson back from injury? That's the assumption anyway. What does the market look like at right tackle, Jason, and how much money could Jawan Taylor get if he hits free agency? Uh, I think if he hits free agency, he is probably going to be looking at a deal that's in that $16 million a year range, $15, $16 million a year. Um, you know, I think he established himself this year in particular as a pretty solid right tackle. We've seen the numbers for right tackles increase, uh, and I think he would be right at that right at that tail end of, like, those highest paid players. And, again, you know, you're talking about free agency. You're talking about teams that might have some cap room, uh, like the Chicago Bears, teams like that, that are going to be very desperate for help. And that can push a market for a player like that up pretty high. So I, I think he'll be probably in that range, 15, 16, 17 um, a year. Yeah, that's good money for Jawan Taylor. He's played every snap, every game as a Jacksonville Jaguar. He started every game in four years here. It's certainly an accomplishment. We'll see if the Jaguars can do something to bring him back. And then the big one, I guess, is Evan Ingram, right? That's the one everybody wants back here in Jacksonville. A little bit of age. He's going to be 29 uh, before the season gets underway next year. So you take that into account a little bit, I suppose. But uh, Trent Baalke has basically gone on record today, Jason, and said, look, 
he's probably not leaving. Whether we get a deal with him done by March 7th or not, if we can put the franchise tag on him at that point. So it appears Evan Ingram, even though he wants to be back in Jacksonville, that looks like the direction it's headed right now. Yeah, I, I think that's probably how that will end up as well. Um, you know, he, he had a very good year after a couple of down seasons with the Giants there. Uh, you know, the franchise tag on that position is not a very high number. So that that's always a possibility for any of those players. You know, we saw a couple of uh, tight ends get tagged last year. Um, you know, I think the market for him, it, his is a little tricky only because you know, he went into free agency last year, and while he did incredibly well, I think, this year, I don't know how the, the league as a whole is going to react to him just based on that time that he had in New York and what you're bringing up about his age. Uh, I'm not sure how much that will play into it. If you look at just what he did this year, I mean, he fits right in with all this group of players that are making between, I'd say, 12 and $14 million a year uh, is probably where he belongs. And, you know, if they're looking to make this a little bit of a longer relationship to, to where he's going to be that safety blanket for uh, Lawrence the next two, three years, I would think that's a player that, you know, maybe you tag and then you get a deal done as the, uh, you know, kind of summer rolls on. Final moments here with Jason Fitzgerald of OverTheCap.com. Jason, I'm curious, a guy like you who does this for a living, Trent Balky got annihilated last year by a lot of outlets for what he did in free agency with Christian Kirk and Ingram and Zay Jones Brandon Scherer, if you go to the defensive side, Aluakun, Fadakasi, Darius Williams, et cetera. But, man, he hit, like, home runs on all those guys. All of those guys were, were vital contributors to what the Jaguars did. Just your assessment of general manager Trent Baalke and the job he's done and basically turning around this organization. Well, you know, they, they, they took a lot of risks last year. And when you take a lot of risks in free agency, a lot of times it doesn't pan out. Uh, it worked out pretty well for them. So I think you have to give them credit for being able to kind of, I guess, pinpoint free agents that fit the system properly, uh, fit what the coach wanted to do, um, you know, and just went in there and filled voids for them that just allowed them to grow as a football team. You know, you, you're trying to use as many resources as you can while you have a quarterback with potential under contract for just a couple million dollars a year. So I think he approached it the right way, even though some of those contract numbers were kind of eye-popping. You know, I was one of those people saying – wow, what, what are they kind of doing with a couple of those players? But, you know, you're you're in a position as a team to take those risks, and this is the only time you can do it. So I think you have to give them credit for doing that. And, you know, you give them credit for, it seems like, uh, picking the right players to do it with that just fit with what they wanted. Jason, final question. How would you assess free agency as a whole this year? Positions of strength, positions of weakness, the class overall, how do you assess it? Uh, the class overall is poor. I mean, this would be the equivalent of, you know, when you have a draft where people just talk about how there's no, like, no real high-end prospects. There's some depth in the second round. There's some depth in the third round. You know, that that's the kind of free agency that this is. Uh, you know, there's a couple of good players at tight end. You have a couple of good players at safety. Um, you know, a couple of good linebackers who will be available. But, you know, you, you don't have those kind of top-end positions that you're going to see at uh, – you know, wide receiver. Um, yeah, there's good running backs. You have Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs at running back or out there. But, you know, running backs don't always uh, do very well in free agency. Um, you know, just, just the way that that position seems to work out. So you don't really have a lot that's out there. Uh, there's a couple name quarterbacks, but those guys never actually make it. They always get franchise tagged. So it's almost like you just pull those names right off. So I, th I think overall it's more of, 
more depth building uh, this year than really finding like starters or players that you look at and go, okay, yeah, they're, they're really going to change the prospects for a team this year. I think it's going to be more about um, quantity that you can find uh, within free agency rather than, you know, just the one big name that you end up signing. Jason Fitzgerald, founder of Over the Cap. .com. That is one of the websites to go to this time of year as free agency less than two weeks away. Jason, know you're very busy, man. Thank you for the time. We'll talk again soon. Anytime. There you go. Jason Fitzgerald, overthecap.com. And I thought it was interesting, a couple of things that he said. You know, the free agent market as a whole, not very strong, which, again, might be good news for a guy like Arden Key because Arden Key is a guy that, because it's not a strong market at the pass rush, defensive end, outside linebacker position, he could potentially get more money on the open market than maybe he would in normal years where that was a little stronger. So it's a good news, bad news thing. Because it's not strong, yeah, maybe you can't find an impact guy, but a role guy like Key might cash in as a result of it not being very strong. What was strong, there's no doubt about, was the 2022 Jacksonville Jaguars. And, boy, the NFL does it right, don't they? The Super Bowl ended 16 days ago. That's it. It hasn't even been two and a half weeks since the Super Bowl, and we're already in Indianapolis, and all the talk is free agency, coaches, new places, trade market, and then obviously the draft. It is a 365-day just phenomenon that the National Football League has turned into. And, of course, we love it here every day on Hacker After Dark. The Jaguars season ended 38 days ago at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City to the eventual Super Bowl champion Chiefs. Doug Peterson was in Indianapolis today. He was asked, and by the way, in case you missed it, Frank Frangi on the Frangi Show here on 1010XL had one-on-one -on -one interviews with both Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke. You can go back and listen to the Frangi Show on demand. It's going to be on all our social media platforms as well. So kudos to Frank and Hayes and Lauren for getting those interviews. Baalke and Peterson were also at the podium today before those interviews. And here's Doug Peterson his opening comments today up in Indianapolis about building, the Jaguars building on the momentum they came out of in 2022. Well, I, I think momentum can carry you, but every year is different. You know, we're, we're all 32 teams are starting over, you know, and everybody's zero and zero. And, um, you know, we're, we're trying to build the best roster, um, just like the 31 other teams right now. But we can, we can learn from what we did, especially the second half of our season. Um, I feel like we got the right guys, the right makeup, the chemistry, the locker room is solid. And, and those are the things you build on. You know, that's the momentum that you're talking about with those guys right there. And guys that have been in Jacksonville, you know, and, and, and they've, they've kind of gone through some tough times. And now, you know, this past year, they, they got on the other side of that. And so that's the challenge now of keeping that rolling uh, as we head into 23. You know, one more comment I want you to hear from Doug Peterson. We've talked about this a lot this week. The momentum is one thing, and that's a key element, no question about it. But look at this division, guys. I mean, I mean, think about the AFC South for a moment. 
and what has transpired in the last month. D'Amico Ryans, a brand-new head coach in Houston. Shane Steichen, a brand-new head coach in Indianapolis. Rand Carthon, a brand-new general manager in Tennessee. Tennessee's got cap problems. Tennessee's got rebuild problems. They've already cut Robert Woods and Zach Cunningham and Taylor Lewan and Randy Bullock. Houston is going to draft a quarterback at number two. Indianapolis likely to draft a quarterback at number four. So when you take stock of the division on paper right now, it's not even close who the king of this division is. It's not even close. Now, things have a way of changing pretty quickly. Look no further than right here in Jacksonville. Who would have ever thought back on Thanksgiving that on February 28th, 2023, we would be talking about the Jaguars being kings of the AFC South? So you want to embrace it, you want to acknowledge it, but you don't want to rest on it because things can change pretty quick. But Doug Peterson earlier today was asked about Jacksonville being the team to beat in the division. You definitely want them to think that way, you know. Um, I, I want them to feel that kind of pressure, you know, where you have to perform week in and week out. You know, but in, the, in this past year, we were just um, – you know, playing to win a game, and and then and then ultimately we find ourselves, you know, winning more games at the end of the season, putting ourselves in a position to win the AFC South. But now those are the expectations that 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 I, as the head coach, expect our football team to have, and and that'll start you know April seventeenth when we when we start our offseason program. Jaguar head coach Doug Peterson. More from Peterson and Balky later on here on Hacker After Dark. I do want to shift gears. Because we're going to go to the state capitol in about five minutes and talk with Irish Chauffel of Warchant.com. Florida State Seminole fans, you guys start spring football next Monday, March the 6th. The Knolls are in for spring practice. That's one of the topics I'm going to hit with Irish Chauffel. The other topic came to light last Friday. This is from an ESPN story over the weekend. Florida State Athletic Director Michael Alford told his board of trustees on Friday that, quote, something has to change when it comes to closing the growing revenue gap with other conferences, a sign that one of the biggest brands in the ACC is unhappy with the current structure. Alford, the AD at Florida State, went on to do a phone interview with ESPN where he said he decided to make his comments after a recent ACC winter meeting in which ADs and presidents discussed an uneven revenue sharing that was going on without any consensus moving forward about what to do. Basically, the issue is the ACC is going to fall behind the SEC and the Big Ten in revenue by about $30 million per year when their respective new television contracts kick in. The Big Ten kicks in in 2023. The SEC kicks in in 2024. Alford, quote, something has to change because we cannot compete nationally being $30 million behind every year. It's not one year. We're talking about $30 million compounded year after year. Alford's not a stupid guy. He knew these comments were going to get picked up. 
He knew people like me were going to talk about him. And is Florida State sending a message to the Atlantic Coast Conference? Of course they are. Now, is there anything that they can do to get out of the ACC? Them and Clemson are the two teams you always hear about that could be looked at by the Big Ten, could be looked at by the Southeastern Conference. But $30 million per year, that's facilities, that's recruiting budget, that's coaching budget, that's you name it. And if your rivals like Florida and Georgia and Alabama, the teams you're competing with for recruits, are getting millions and millions and millions of dollars more than you every single year, yeah, I don't blame Florida State for being upset. So I want to talk to Irish Chauffel, Warchant.com, about that. I also want to talk about spring practice beginning on Monday, March 6th. To Tallahassee, Florida we go. Irish Chauffel of Warchant.com is next. It is a Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark, and we're glad you're with us right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. So real quick, I've had people asking me on social media. I posted this photo on Twitter probably an hour or two ago. The definition of irony, right? If you've listened to me over the years, you're very well known, or I guess it is a very well known fact because people have had fun with me over the years about it, that I have never ridden a bicycle in my life. Really? Translation, as a 39-year-old man, I guess technically you could say, I don't know how to ride a bike. My defense for that is I've never been on a bike. Well, how did that happen, Hacker? Well, there are a couple of variables. Um, My brother was, or is, nine and a half years older than me. So by the time I got to five, six years old, he was driving around. He just drove me everywhere when we were living in Tallahassee. And then I moved to Jacksonville when I was 11. And just one thing, I don't know, I just never rode a bike. That's, that's, still, that's still not legit. I'm that's, telling that's you. wild. My, my mother will vouch for it. I have never been on a bicycle in my life. You never had a buddy in the neighborhood that rode a bike somewhere? And oh, you of had course a, I did. I know, but like you like never had no. a, the opportunity to ride a bike? Oh, no, no, I've had many an opportunity. But I think it got to the point where I just didn't know how to, and then I became 13, 14, 15. So- <laughs> and then it was kind of an embarrassing thing. And then by the time I was 16, guess what? I was driving a Chevy Cavalier that I got as my first ever car, and the bicycle was was gone. But the reason I bring this up is earlier today, my three-year-old, little hack, he was out there wanting daddy to teach him how to ride a bike. We got him a bike for Christmas with the training wheels and I was I mean, what do you tell your three-year-old when he asks you to teach him how to ride a bike? So I go out to the road and I'm, you know, steadying him and I'm turning the thing and whatnot. Have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. Not a clue. Because again, I've never been on a bicycle before. But to my credit, I actually got him to do a couple of things and figure it out. And my man started pedaling. Now, of course, I had to help him by and large. He's three for crying out loud. He doesn't turn four for a few months. So he's still a pretty young guy. But yeah, here I am, a 39-year-old man that's never been on a bicycle in my life, teaching my three-year-old how to ride a bicycle. That, my friends, is the definition of irony. Irish Chauffel, Warchant.com, now on Hacker After Dark. Now. 
Hello. Another great guest on the Farah and Farah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farah and Farah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The end of February, the beginning of March means spring football. And in Tallahassee, Monday, March 6th, is when Mike Norvell and the Florida State Seminoles begin spring ball here in 2023. For the very latest, let's go to the state capitol. Our man over there is Irish Chauffel of Warchant.com, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ira, it's been a little while, man. How are you? I'm great, Ryan. How you doing? Ira, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And I do want to spend a lot of time on spring ball. But, boy, the Florida State Athletic Director, Michael Alford, making some interesting news late last week to, a, I guess, a trustee meeting there in Tallahassee. Really unhappy, Ira, it appears, with the financial situation that the ACC appears to be in. Yeah, and that part's not really new. You know, we've all known that, uh, and really common sense would tell you that. If you look at some of these projections that have come out over the last year or two, once the SEC went out and got Texas and Oklahoma and the Big Ten went out and got USC and UCLA, and you see that those conferences are going to be getting, each school is going to be getting 70 to $80 million a year in a few years with their new television deals. And the ACC schools only make 30 to $40 million a year, and that's locked in until 2036. You know, you knew they had to be upset, and we've you know, obviously been hearing plenty about it behind the scenes. But, uh, yeah, what is new is that Michael Offord went out on, in, in a public forum uh, in a board of trustees meeting that streamed on YouTube, and they knew full and well that people at the ACC would be watching it and that media would be watching it. And they uh, basically aired their dirty laundry and said that something has to change. And we don't know exactly what that is or how, how it's going to take, take shape. Uh, but they clearly, you know, kind of drew a line in the sand. As you said, Ira, Michael Alford, not a, not a stupid guy. I mean, he's the athletic director at a prestigious university. He knew what he was doing. Why do you think he went in a public forum and did that? What is the message he's trying to send? I think there's a few things. I mean, I think the one overriding one, uh, at the bare minimum, is sending a message to the other schools in the ACC that, that Florida State's serious about this. Uh, that they're not content to just sit and wait till 2036 to, to do something new. And, you know, they had, they actually had an ACC uh, meeting, the winter meetings, uh, a few weeks ago, two or three weeks ago in Charlotte. And one of the things they discussed, Florida State and Clemson and maybe one or two other schools, were uh, pushing the idea of, of changing the revenue distribution to where instead of all 14 schools each getting 7% of the, the revenue from the conference TV deal – Maybe Florida State should get more. Maybe Clemson should get more. Maybe some other schools should get more. But if that happens, then other schools have to get less. And so they discussed it. And it's something that's been kind of been dis being discussed in the background for a while. And um, I think they didn't get very good uh, affirmation from the, some of those other schools. Apparently, some of those other schools didn't like the idea of giving up some of their money uh, to Florida State and Clemson. So uh, that didn't go well. And I think they're at the point where they just wanted to make sure that everybody knows they're serious. They're not just going to uh, eat it uh, over the next 13 years. And and I think there's probably a couple other messages being sent out. I mean, I think there's probably letting, you know, it's no secret that ESPN, uh, you know, has been the big leader in college football for since since any of us have been alive or, or at least since ESPN started. Uh, but Fox Sports has been trying to make a push. That's why they went and, 
the Big Ten went and got USC and UCLA. And so maybe you're letting the Big Ten know that, hey, you know, we're, we're not happy here. Uh, we're interested in, in seeing what else is out there. Uh, letting the SEC know that, once again, Florida State would definitely be interested. And, and then kind of seeing where things go from there. There's another point of view that maybe they already have some things in the works. And maybe that, that the, the, uh, the train is already down the tracks a little bit. And this was just kind of putting it out there publicly. But, but we don't know for sure. At the bare minimum, it was sending a message to the ACC that we're not content and we're going to be looking to see if we can get out of this. Ira Schofel, Warchant.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ira, for the average Florida State fan that turns the channel on on Saturday and watches the Knowles and supports the Knowles, they may not be familiar with all the financial stuff, but essentially to break it down to an elementary level, when Florida and, you know, Georgia and teams that Florida State's competing with are getting tens of millions more dollars from their conference and their deals than Florida State's getting, that's not viable, right? That's facilities. That's a recruiting budget. That's a coaching budget. That's why these teams in the ACC are as unhappy as they are, correct? Yeah, correct. And it's all of the above. And it's, you know, it's gone on for a long time. You know, there's been kind of a, I think some fans feel like, okay, this is a, you know, new chapter of the same story because Florida state's been complaining about ACC revenue and uh, for, you know, probably 10, 15 years, but the difference back then, the difference like 10 years ago when Florida state really kind of did some of this publicly was the, the disparity was maybe 5 million a year, 10 million a year. Well, now it's going to be 30 or 40 million a year. And you could make up maybe 5 million a year. You know, you, if you have a really good year and ticket sales and, and you could cut corners and you, maybe, maybe you let the SEC schools have 40 analysts and you only have 30 analysts or 20 analysts, you know, there's different ways you could kind of compete there. But when you're looking at 30 to $40 million a year, uh, I mean, you talk about coaching salaries, just look at what's happened, you know, these last few years and the SEC with basketball, They've the SEC schools started putting so much money into those basketball coaching hires. Uh, they've lured some big time coaches away from other conferences, and and they've they've gotten to the point where now you know they're seen as a dominant basketball conference. That wasn't the case. That wasn't the case just a few years ago. And so you know you you start looking down the road. It, are they going to just dominate every single sport? And, you know, if you're a Florida state, you don't want to be second fiddle. And uh, so, yeah, that's the concern. And really the biggest concern for Florida state is the big 10 can do whatever the big 10 is going to do. But the fact that their biggest rival Florida is in the sec and that's who they have to compete with in all these sports. They just don't want to be at this huge disadvantage. Ira final question before we get into spring ball. Um, So, I mean, not to put you on the spot here, but look five years down the road. I mean, is Florida State still in the ACC, or do you think something may happen? I think something would have had to, for for that to still be the case. I think something would uh, substantial would have to change. Whether it's the revenue distribution, maybe it's um, ESPN finds a way to keep Florida State and Clemson happy. Uh, maybe there's some way to to create a new revenue stream for them. I don't know what it could be, um, but the idea that Florida State and Clemson are just going to sit there and get lapped by the schools they compete with. I just don't think that's happening. Um, so I, my th- my guess is by then something will have changed. Um, I, I wouldn't rule out the idea that ESPN keeps them because, you know, ESPN is not going to want to see those schools really even flirt with the big 10 because they're not going to want to lose those schools to, uh, you know, a, a rival television partner. 
Um, so, so I do think there's going to be some incentive on ESPN's part to try to settle this. Um, but I, you know, I don't know how, uh, how exactly it's going to take shape. A couple of more for Ira Schofel, warchant.com. Ira on the field, spring ball begins on Monday and Mike Norvell has a brand new contract now signed through the 2029 season. Who would have ever thought that six months ago? What a turnaround there for Norvell in Tallahassee. Well, that's the great thing about being a college football coach. There's some down things, the bad parts of it too. But 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 the great thing is, if you have a big year, uh, you usually can cash in. And and I think you know there was a feeling, there was there was hope that that he would be able to turn it around. You know, I think even even during the three and six season and the five and seven season, when he got here, there were people inside the program who felt like, okay, he's doing the right things. We believe in him. It's just he hasn't had the results yet because of a lot of circumstances he inherited. And so that that season, I think, validated that. And, and so I think they were comfortable making that extension. Um, but it's, it's a big deal because it really puts them on more solid footing in recruiting. You know, last year during recruiting, the, last summer during recruiting, they were having to fight other schools saying that Mike Norvell wasn't even going to be there when that's class signed. So now it, it's a big, you know, it gives them some security in terms of recruiting. And then also hiring assistant coaches when that becomes an issue. A lot of times, if, if you have a coach perceived to be on the hot seat, it's hard to hire assistant coaches. Ira Jordan Travis is back for year number 12 in Tallahassee. <laughs> At least that's what it feels like. He has been there forever. But, boy, what a lift to get him back again. And I got to tell you, the Heisman campaign appears to be fully on. You see a lot of people uh, in Tallahassee getting Jordan Travis on as many radio and TV interviews as possible it seems there's a full court press there to get that Heisman campaign going yeah there is and you know I think they want to seize the moment because Florida State hasn't had positive publicity in an offseason since I don't know man it's been like probably a decade because even when they won the national title in 2013 that was kind of the most hated team in the country because of Jameis Winston and perceptions about him and and some other things with the program so uh, even when they were successful, those last, you know, those middle few years under Jimbo Fisher, the team didn't get a lot of positive publicity. Jordan Travis is a, you know, just a, a likable kid. He's got a great story. Started out his career at Louisville, basically was an afterthought there. Comes to Florida State, was an afterthought here. Grinds his way through, finally becomes the guy and has that huge season. So, yeah, I think they're trying to capitalize on that. And and but but as far as on the field, that's the most important thing. And, yeah, man, it was a huge uh, deal for Florida State to keep him for another year. And, uh, you know, you have – if you look at teams that have success in college football or in any football, any level of football, it's because they have a good quarterback. Florida State finally has a good quarterback again, and uh, they're trying to cash in by, by adding a lot of nice pieces around him. Final moments with Irish Chauffel of Warchant.com. The Florida State Seminoles begin spring practice next Monday. Ira, again, Norvell cleaned up in the transfer portal. It's unbelievable. Every year, he is getting top prospects out of that portal. How does he continue to do that? Well, I think one thing is they do a, they've do. they done a really good job as a staff, I think, of, of evaluating those guys and getting on them quickly. I think even before guys go in the portal, uh, I think they're looking around the country at players who might go in the portal. Maybe it's a coaching change. Maybe it's a position coach change. Maybe it's a, a team where – uh, a, a guy's not playing as much as or, or maybe was a starter in the past but lost his job and I think they're doing a good job of evaluating those situations so that when it when the guy does go in the portal they can jump on it quickly they already know this is a guy they want the other thing that's been huge and maybe the biggest thing is 
that first year of the portal, when, when, when schools were really trying to go into the portal a few years ago, Mike Norvell went all in with, with both feet because he had to. He was trying to turn over this roster. He had a bad uh, roster he inherited. And so he went hard and heavy in the portal. And then they had a lot of success with those guys like Jermaine Johnson and Keir uh, Thomas and uh, the running back. They got Jay Sean Corbin from Texas A&M. They went and got a bunch of transfers that first year, and they had a lot of success. And so that was a good sign to other transfers in the next two years. Hey, that's a place for me. Jared Verse, the All-American defensive end they have now, basically came because of, he saw what Jermaine Johnson did in his one year in Tallahassee. So that is kind of uh, – and then you've had more success last year with Jer- with uh, Trey Benson and Jared Verse and, and Johnny Wilson and all these guys who came in as transfers and had success, and now it's just breeding more success. So I think getting in early and having success in that field when a lot of coaches were taking a wait-and-see approach really has paid off for Mike Norvell. Ira, final question. There's certainly a thought about Florida State coming into this year that they could be a playoff team, that they could overtake Clemson in the ACC. I'm curious from – your position there in Tallahassee, you're around that program all the time. Is there that sense there around that campus that this could be a special year for football? I'm definitely a hope. You know, I, I wouldn't say there's a huge confidence because, you know, even though they won some of the games they won last year on their way to 10 games, when they played Clemson, they looked like not quite the same level as Clemson. You know, it was a close game for a little while, and then Clemson kind of blew it open. Uh, when they played Florida and Oklahoma – two teams in big conferences that didn't have good years, they just kind of had to bat, battle and claw and, 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 and claw their way back after falling behind. And so those are, those are things I think to give FSU fans a little bit of pause. Now they did go out and not only do they bring back almost the entire, all the key players from last season, 95% of the key players from last season, the big loss was Jamie Robinson, the safety, um, but they bring back just about everybody else. And then they went out and got some really high profile transfers. I mean, a couple of the best offensive linemen in the portal, the best cornerback in the portal, uh, some really nice players, some some big defensive linemen. And so the, there's there's excitement and there's hope, but I think in the back of everybody's mind, there's still a concern that, okay, can we really compete with the Alabamas? Can we really compete with the Ohio States and some of those schools? And so uh, I don't think it's complete confidence, but definitely a lot of excitement and hope. Gets underway on Monday, spring football over there in Tallahassee for the Florida State Seminoles. Ira Schofell of Warchant.com. Ira, appreciate you, man. Let's talk uh, maybe halfway through spring practice. We'll see how things are going. Sounds great, Ryan. Take care. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. All right, news from around the National Football League coming up in one moment, but I had to pass this along. Um, There were some people that did not want Mike White out of Gainesville. I had nothing against Mike White personally. It was time. The guy had been there seven years. Nothing was happening with the University of Florida. That was not good. And I'm not saying it's been good this year. And Florida's got a bad basketball team that's not making the NCAA tournament, and their best player, Colin Castleton, broke his hand, what, a week and a half ago and is out for the season. But Florida already had one win over Mike White in Georgia, and they just went to Athens tonight, and they beat Mike White again. So for all the Mike White's better than Todd Golden people, all I have to say, and I kid because I care, Todd Golden and this – 
below average Florida Gator basketball team without their best player in Colin Castleton just swept Mike White. You know it. Now to the National Football League with NFL news and notes. The Combine going on up in Indianapolis. Of course, the day the Combine starts, Mel Kuyper Jr. for ESPN puts out Mock Draft 2.0. All right, now it's getting a little more serious, right? Mock Draft 1.0, you're kind of throwing darts at a a dartboard, seeing what sticks. Now we're to 2.0. Now you're beginning to talk to some people. You're beginning to figure some things out if you're Mel Kuyper Jr. Mel Kuyper, earlier today in his Mock Draft 2.0, has the Houston Texans trading from two to one. wonder what they would have to give up. Probably a couple of seconds to do that, to move up one spot. Thanks, Lovey Smith. And he has the Texans drafting Bryce Young. He has Chicago then trading again with Indianapolis, accumulating more spots. The Colts then come up and take C.J. Stroud. So how about that for a scenario? In the AFC South, Mel Kuyper has Houston trading to one to take Bryce Young, has Indy trading to two to take C.J. Stroud. Arizona goes Will Anderson out of Alabama at three. Chicago, Jalen Carter out of Georgia, number four. Will Levis, the quarterback of Kentucky, goes to Carolina as they trade up to five in this mock draft. I will tell you, As I'm scrolling, Anthony Richardson, number nine to the Seattle Seahawks. And as I scroll down to Jacksonville at number 24, Mel Kuyper has the Jacksonville Jaguars taking Lucas Van Ness, defensive lineman out of Iowa. No idea. But I know they need some bodies up front in the interior offensive line some bodies in the interior defensive line. I could see them going that route. Could also certainly see them going with a corner, perhaps, to join Tyson Campbell and Darius Williams. The Jaguars are in the unique position that, honestly, they could go best player available and be truthful about it. Corner, interior defensive line, offensive tackle, linebacker, I mean, couldn't you see, maybe not linebacker because of Mooma and Lloyd, but you get my point. They could go a number of directions. So it'll be curious to see what Trent Baalke and the Jaguars do with the number 24 pick in the draft. A lot of news coming out of the combine. Here's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to release Leonard Fournette. The former Jacksonville Jaguar first round pick went to Tampa, was a big part of Tom Brady and them winning the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. He's been good in Tampa. I believe he's still only 28 years of age. He's got plenty of years left in him. But rumor has it that Tampa Bay will be releasing Leonard Fournette when the league calendar begins on Wednesday, March the 15th. Kenny Galladay, same thing. The New York Giants are set to release him. Remember Kenny Galladay? Remember how many Jaguar fans wanted Kenny Galladay to come to Jacksonville in free agency? Instead, the Jaguars went for his older teammate in Detroit, Marvin Jones. Why are the Jaguars signing Marvin Jones when Kenny Galladay is just sitting there? Well, you look at what Marvin Jones did in two years here in Jacksonville. 
you compare that to what Kenny Galladay did two years in New York, and there is absolutely no comparison whatsoever. The first franchise tag officially handed out today, Deron Payne, defensive tackle of the Washington Commanders, becomes the first player franchised. He will certainly not be the last. You have until Monday, March the 7th, six days to use the franchise tag. That includes us here in Jacksonville. Will it be used on Evan Ingram? Perhaps. Will it be used on Jawan Taylor? Not as likely, but that also potentially could happen. It appears Seattle, rumor has it in the combine, they are in the market for a quarterback. Geno Smith is scheduled to become a free agent. There's talk they could potentially franchise Geno Smith, have him be the starting quarterback in 2023 to groom their young quarterback to take over in 2024. Why do I bring that up? We'll go back to Mel Kuyper's mock draft that I just mentioned. He has Seattle taking Anthony Richardson. Interesting. People say Richardson might need some time to develop in the NFL. He's only started 13 games in college. He's thrown less than 400 passes in college football. That would seem like a good scenario to me. Anthony Richardson goes to Seattle, sits one year behind Geno Smith, learns the way of the NFL. He takes over for the Seahawks in 2024. Just tuck that one away for a little bit. That, to me, smells like something that could potentially happen with a guy like Anthony Richardson. We're going to talk more Combine, more Jaguars. Mia O'Brien, you hear every day on XL Primetime. You'll get her right here on Hacker After Dark in less than 20 minutes. We'll talk Evan Ingram, Jawan Taylor, Arden Key, and the rest of the outlook of the Jaguar offseason. But coming up next... Those of you that know me know that, well, I once was a huge professional wrestling fan. I would still say I am to an extent, maybe not what I was, but I appreciate pro wrestling, particularly. Look at Tony Khan, what he's doing with all elite wrestling right here in Jacksonville. My friend Scott Johnson of Channel 4, they got a brand new pro wrestling podcast beginning on Channel 4's website, newsforjacks.com. Scott asked if he could come on and talk about this wrestling podcast that actually debuts tomorrow. Said, absolutely. I used to host a pro wrestling radio show called Ringside Live here on Hacker After Dark, and I loved it. I had Bret Hart on, Jake Roberts, Greg the Hammer Valentine. It was a great time. So let's talk a little pro wrestling. My friend Scott Johnson, a brand new wrestling podcast here locally. You normally see him giving the news. Now you hear him talking pro wrestling. Scott Johnson of Channel 4 next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. For those that have listened to me over the years, you know that I am a big professional wrestling fan, been to probably a dozen WrestleManias also love what Tony Khan and the folks are doing here in Jacksonville with All Elite Wrestling. And there is a brand new wrestling podcast starting up here in the city of Jacksonville. Let's go to the local station, Channel 4. My man Scott Johnson, you see him on your news every afternoon. And soon you'll be able to hear him talking about professional wrestling. Scott, how we doing? 
Good, Hacker. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is a new venture for us. It's going to be called Going Ringside with the Local Station. And it's probably a little confusing. You know, why is the local station, your local news station, doing a podcast about pro wrestling? Well, if you've been up on it in the last five years, what the Khan family has done in the city of Jacksonville, kind of almost making Jacksonville, Florida, the center of the pro wrestling world with that initial estimated $100 million investment into AEW based out of TIA Bank Field, we couldn't ignore this any longer. You know, we cover it some, but we figured a podcast might be the best way to tell this story. I do want to say that while we are going to be talking a lot about the cons and AEW, it's not just an AEW podcast. If you grew up on Hulk Hogan or Austin and the Rock and the Attitude Era or Cena or heck, even Dusty Rhodes in the old Florida territory in the 70s, we'll talk about all of it. No, I love it. I actually used to do a wrestling show here on 1010XL uh, called Ringside Live back in the day where I talked to the likes of Jake the Snake Roberts, Brett the Hitman Hart, Greg the Hammer Valentine. So I am certainly going to be your audience. Again, Scott Johnson, Channel 4, the guy you normally see giving you the news in the afternoon. Now he'll also be providing you with wrestling content on a weekly basis. Scott, the idea, like you said, AEW, WWE, maybe even some indie wrestling, you're going to kind of hit it all right we are going to hit it all um one of the wwe aew things that i just did a lengthy interview which will be our second episode is you know there's a uh, wwe may be sold that's been a big talk nationally one of the buyers out there that's been talked about is the con family so that's not for sure and we don't know what will happen but it's something we wanted to go in depth on and what does that look like you know if WWE sold, and then if it's sold to the Khan family, do they stay in Stanford, Connecticut? Do they move to Jacksonville, Florida? That would be huge for this city. But, yeah, we'll be going through all of it. I know we have River City Wrestling Con coming to the fairgrounds in June. I've been in touch with them. They've got some big names headed to the fairgrounds in June, so we want to hear about that as well. But there's just so much out there, and we're excited to do this if you want to follow it we will be getting the shows up starting wednesday on newsforjacks.com and you can of course follow me on twitter at at wjxt scott j i'll i'll put links to all our episodes once they start going live this coming wednesday final moments here with scott johnson of channel four a brand new wrestling podcast starting there on the local station scott you mentioned the city of jacksonville and you go back, you know, through the decades to Dusty Rhodes and Florida Championship Wrestling at the old Jacksonville Coliseum. I have family members that tell me stories about that and, and, and what Jacksonville has meant to the pro wrestling scene. And then now, like you said, with Tony Khan and AEW, boy, quite the history in our city for professional wrestling. And I think it's awesome that you're starting this podcast. Yeah, I'm very excited. And, of course, Florida was such a big thing with uh, the Rhodes family. And then I was going through a bunch of nitros with WCW in the 90s, going through them uh, over the last year or two. And I couldn't believe how many were in Jacksonville. They were all at whatever Star Arena used to be called. I can't remember the old name of it, but they'd always say that they were at the arena in Jacksonville, Florida. So, yeah, it has been a staple. And I got to tell you a quick story, Hacker. In 2016, I'll go over this in the podcast, the Jaguars put out a press release that they were going to have legends of wrestling at the stadium. They had Greg Valentine, they had Jimmy Hart, and they had the nature boy, Ric Flair. So I geeked out, and I ran over there to do my interviews. And I always remember walking away wondering, 
how did this happen? How does an NFL team bring pro wrestlers in? You don't see that very often, but I didn't really know who Tony Khan was at that point. I didn't quite know the link to wrestling that would soon come to Jacksonville a few years later. Yeah, there's no question. You mentioned all those nitros as well, Scott. I think I was at a majority of those as a younger man wearing my new world order of wrestling t-shirts, certainly. All right, give us the particulars again, the name of the show, where people can find it. It's going to be a weekly podcast. Give us all the information, Scott. So it will be a weekly podcast. We plan to drop them on Wednesdays, the first one this coming Wednesday, March 1st newsforjacks.com you can search around and get your podcast there um and also if you want to go follow me on twitter at, at wjxt scott j every week i'll put the link on my twitter page on where you can just click on news for jacks to find the podcast that is beautiful and we'll have you on periodically to promote the podcast i'm always willing to do that i know you know this good old jr jim ross has a residence out in jacksonville beach Perhaps he would like to get involved in something like this. I know JR is a very loyal listener here at 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So quite the wrestling history in our city. And Scott Johnson will be sharing that with you every week on his brand new podcast there at newsforjacks.com. Scott, best of luck. We'll be listening and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Hacker. Thank you so much. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The NFL Scouting Combine up in Indianapolis. The on-the-field work begins on Thursday, but a lot of news has already been made, including right here with your hometown Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's check in with Mia O'Brien. You hear her every day on XL Primetime, and she's always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. Mia, how we doing? Yo, what's going on, Hack? How we doing? Mia, we're good. Uh, boy, the Jaguars have done a lot here in the last four or five days. Let's begin from the beginning and work our way up to the news today. Over the weekend, Mia, C.J. Beathard, Jamichael Hasty, Roy Robertson Harris, all three potentially in question for returning, all three brand new deals, all three will be back in Jacksonville. Uh, your thoughts on Beathard, Hasty, and Roy Robertson Harris all returning this season? Yeah, we'll go one by one because I think each one tells a different story of, you know, where this team is at as a whole. We begin with C.J. Beathard, um, which, you know, I think that that move really signifies the goal in keeping such great continuity around Trevor Lawrence. And Doug Peterson, throughout the season, if you follow the Easter eggs, he continued to reference what a great sounding board Beathard was for Trevor, what a great mentor he was for Trevor, having him in his corner, a guy who, you know, with all due respect to our boy Gardner Minshew, who we all love and adore, you want the backup quarterback to be a guy who understands he's not going to play a lot, but he's also a sponge and a sounding board for that young quarterback in a lot of ways that Doug Peterson was for Brett Favre. I mean, Brett Favre knew Doug wasn't coming for his job, but he was going to compete with him every day, and he was going to be a guy who he could go to and be in his corner at all times. And so I, I think that that's a really great move because it signifies that outside of Jim Bob Cooter, everybody else who's in that brain trust is going to be back. And I think that that is so critical for Trevor's development. So that's the first one. Then you move to Jamichael Hasty, a guy that Trent Baalke and um, Ethan Waugh and the rest of the front office are super high on, obviously, from their ties to San Francisco. He does present some different looks to Tra Travis Etienne while also still having that third down ability and you know, the ability to be a pass catcher as well as a runner. I still think that depending on Snoop Connor's development, 
they are still going to have to go out and get more of a bulldozer running back complement, Hasty and Etienne. But Hasty proved in the one game where Travis Etienne was held out because of a potential foot injury, he was able to carry the load, even if it looks a little bit different. And this offense is always going to be a pass-first offense to begin with. And so they lock him up helping to fortify the running back room, and obviously it's on a pretty team-friendly deal. The Roy Robertson-Harris deal, I'm not going to lie, Hack, I can tell you this from talking to some members of the coaching staff over the weekend. Um, that one kind of came out of left field. That truly is the bulky masterclass to say, hey, listen, a lot of people thought you'd be a cap casualty. We love what we saw at the end of the season. You're a great locker room guy. You're somebody the fans gravitate towards. And moreover, Roy Robertson-Harris's job is not necessarily to get 18 sacks a season. That's not his job, but he is supposed to be a straw that stirs the drink when it comes to this entire defensive core. I think you saw that towards the tail end of the season. And moreover, you can tie that to having better pass coverage with Darius Williams moving to his natural outside corner position. That obviously gives the pass rush more time to generate along the front. And I think you saw it pay off dividends in the form of the stats that Roy Robertson-Harris put up in, you know, the two playoff games and down the stretch. And so I think it's a great move by the Jags because it is pretty back-heavy. Um, it won't be a massive cap number this year, which is huge. And that, in turn, is going to help this team have more money to pay free agents down the line. Mia O'Brien of XL Primetime here with us on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, so the last month, I guess five weeks since the season ended, the numbers were thrown out there. Some said 20-plus million over the cap. I think the official number was like 32 million over the cap at one point. And in the span of essentially three days, it appears when you rework Roy Robertson Harris's deal, Foye Oluwakin over the weekend, Mia, shaved 10 million yeah. off his cap number by restructuring. And then the news comes out this morning that Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and Brandon Scherf all essentially did the same thing, doing $26 million more off the cap. Now, miraculously, the Jaguars appear to be somewhere between 10 to $15 million under the cap. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable, right? How did Balky pull that off? I think it was, uh, it was a good amount of it was bulky and hopefully you didn't drop me there hack i know i'm coming over a bridge right now speaking with you um but uh i think some of it was bulky and some of it as i've reported was trevor lawrence um i was told the day after the season that trevor went out to eat with christian kirk brandon Scherf, and one other offensive player i'm still unsure if that was Zay jones or if that was cam robinson as some people had speculated obviously at this time we haven't heard anything about cam potentially restructuring um but at the same time it's a combination of saying, look, maybe we are going to build this the quote-unquote patriot way, and we are going to say, hey, I'm going to take more money up front, less money on the cap, because that ensures we can keep the band together. And I know that when Trevor reportedly, you know, from what I've been told, met with those players, it was with the focus of we're going to keep Evan Ingram and perhaps we can even keep Juwan Taylor around. And, you know, for me, it's so funny what I tweeted this morning, I thought was just simply connecting the dots and what I reported and what the NFL Network has reported and what other sources have reported um, or outlets, I should say, that, you know, quite simply, the focus was always to retain those guys. And then you combine that with what Evan Ingram tweeted last week and what Christian Kirk tweeted last week about, um, you know, my guy, you ain't going anywhere with a laughing emoji. Well, no 
done. He's not going anywhere. You just agreed to take less money, or I should say money up front, to ensure he's not going anywhere. Um, so, so that's where, you know, I, this has been the plan all along. Um, like I said, for me, the bigger surprise is I was not surprised at all this morning with those three guys restructuring their deals. I think that that has been the plan since January 20-whatever it was when the season ended after the loss to Kansas City. And so I wasn't surprised by that. If anything, it was the Roy Robertson-Harris and the Foye Aluakin restructuring slash extension. That that's what surprised me. And, you know, there are some people floating around the potential of a Rayshon Jenkins as well with him potentially restructuring too. And those are the ones that surprised me more. I assumed those guys with huge numbers on the offense, they would find a way to get that number down. And that's what you're seeing. Mia, some people on social media are calling it the fact the Jaguars found a loophole in the salary cap. Is there anything to that? Uh, have you heard of the Los Angeles Rams? They won a Super Bowl doing exactly this. If anything, you're just seeing Jacksonville catch up with the rest of the league. I think that's a great thing. I, I think it also proves why Shotton was such a great owner and is such a great owner because he has money and he's not afraid to spend it up front to ensure they keep the band together and that they are able to keep players here in Jacksonville. That was the issue for so long. Part of how you keep players happy is you pay them lots of money and you're honest with them and you keep their friends around and therefore they win games. And that, that's kind of what you're seeing come to fruition. I was actually saying this on a podcast on Monday night hack of, you know, you look at Joe Burrow, like, I don't know how deep the Bengals' ownership's pockets are. You look at Justin Herbert in Los Angeles. I'm not sure if the Chargers' top brass is going to be as willing to, you know, pay Justin Herbert an inordinate amount of money while also looking around and paying the rest of that team. And so that's where, you know what, for all it's worth and for everybody who loves to knock shots on, it may pay off in the end because if he is able to – keep these guys and they're able to manipulate the salary cap just like the Rams did, maybe it ends in a Lombardi. Final moments here with me, O'Brien. You get her every day on XL Primetime. She's with us here on Hacker After Dark. Mia, we're one week away from the franchise tag deadline. What are you hearing about Evan Ingram? Yeah, I mean, at this point in time, the verbatim what I was told Monday Night Hack is, you know, they've kind of played their hand. Evan Ingram has gone on multiple platforms, multiple outlets, and he has said he wants to be in Jacksonville, and my agent has a great relationship with the Jags, and we're going to get a deal done. Um, from what I was told on Monday night, um, like, you know, the Jags know he wants to be here. They gave the initial deal. The agent said, yes, we like that, and then kind of said, well, maybe we try X, Y, and Z. But the fact of the matter is, is that Evan has said he wants to be here, and the Jags have said they want him here, so – if they can't come to an agreement by Tuesday, they're going to put the tag on him, and then they're going to come to an extension agreement anyways. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of fascinating to me that people aren't following the breadcrumbs. But by all accounts, yes, they are going to have Evan Ingram in Jacksonville, not just in 2023, but beyond as well. Um, barring some sort of change of heart that is so drastic, we haven't seen anything like it in the last few years Um of, of positive negotiations here in Jacksonville. And so I would expect him to be back. For me, half the more surprising development has been in talking to people in the building that they won't use the tag on Juwan Taylor. It obviously is a very hefty number at 18-plus, um, but I was of the assumption, knowing that this team franchise tag Cam Robinson the last two years, that Trent Baalke would 
do that again because he was so focused on keeping the trenches fortified and keeping the offensive line intact. That's not the case from what I've been told. If they can't come to a long-term deal with Juwan Taylor, which Juwan Taylor's agent has the month, like he has the offer letter, they have presented them with an offer for an extension. Um, It's, you know, it's a matter of, does he accept that or does he want to test the market, which it sounds like he potentially could. And moreover, then uh, Trent Baalke would be okay with rolling with Walker Little at right tackle if he is to walk, Cam Robinson at left tackle, and then drafting an offensive tackle who would be your swing, and then potentially if you part ways with Cam Robinson down the line because of how large that cap number is, that this young rookie could eventually move into a starting role. Mia, final question. That's Evan Ingram. That's Jawan Taylor. Arden Key is the other one. What is all of these restructuring and all this money being now put over uh, to further caps down the line mean potentially for Arden Key in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, he's the only one I've heard of some of the other pending free agents who there is an offer about to be in place for him. I think he's the real winner, Hack, quite honestly, in all this restructuring. They were always going to restructure some dudes so that they could keep Ingram. That was always the case. But freeing up as much money they have and, you know, knowing the looming possibility of releasing Shaq Griffin and his high cap number – you know, I think Arden Key's the real winner. I've heard reports of anywhere between the two- to three-year range for Arden Key. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. Um, but there have been talks with him and his agents. He's another guy who, from the locker room following that loss to Kansas City all the way to now, has been extremely vocal that he wants to be in Jacksonville. He bought a house here. He is from the Atlanta area. He doesn't want to leave. Um, and I think he's, again, another rotational piece. But you go back even to training camp last year, Hack. I mean, we kind of laughed at it at the moment, but it was Arden Key that was ripping the team a new one and saying, this is not the standard we're going to hold ourselves to. If you have a bad practice, like, you're going to pay for it. Like, we don't have bad practices here anymore. And that's why they want to keep a guy like him around. He, You know, he's a veteran guy. He's been around the block. And, you know, I, I think that the real winner in all this, besides obviously Evan Ingram, and I'm sure – you know, as I'm talking out loud and talking through this hack, I think that's probably why Evan Ingram's agent now wants to play hardball. The Jags have freed up so much space, and it's to pay multiple people. Obviously, his agent's job is to get him the most amount of money as possible, and so he's saying, hey, you have XYZ, why can't we have more of the pie? That slice of the pie, I would assume, is going to Arden Key. If not him, then perhaps a team-friendly deal with Dewan Smoot or a couple other middle-tier pass rushers that I have heard the Jaguars are looking at. Mia, we got 30 seconds. Not to put words in your mouth, but just based on talking to you here, is it a safe assumption that you are of the belief Evan Ingram's back, Arden Key likely back, Jawan Taylor possibly gone? Yep, I would rank it exactly as that, Hack, and that's what my sources told me. Monday night, and uh, that's what I I would say as of now, that is what we're looking at. I know it's a tough pill to swallow because this staff really, really likes Juwan Taylor, and they'd love to keep everybody together, Um, but I just think the dollars and cents are going to be too hard for him to ignore, but maybe he really does want to stay in the state of Florida, and perhaps, you know, he is back in 2023. Mia O'Brien, you get her every day on XL Primetime. Mia, thank you for the time. We'll talk again soon. Thanks so much, Hack. I'd also like to say I successfully did not get into a car accident while we were uh, t- while we were uh, on the air, and so I'm very happy about that. <laughs> That's always a good thing. Thank you, Mia. Thanks, Hack. And thank you to Mia O'Brien of XL Primetime for joining us tonight 
here on Hacker After Dark. Yeah, it's very interesting what's going on. The Jaguars have a lot more room now than we maybe thought they would under the salary cap, at least, uh, what, a couple of days ago, as recently as that. So we'll see what that means for Evan Ingram, what that means for Arden Key, and what that means for Jawan Taylor. But again, they've restructured deals with Foye Lewican, with Brandon Scherf, with Christian Kirk, with Zay Jones, really with Roy Roberts and Harris as well. We're still waiting to see if they release Shaq Griffin, which would save them, what, I think 12 or $13 million more under the cap. So there is a ton of news going on with the Jacksonville Jaguars and the rest of the National Football League, the NFL Scouting Combine going on up in Indianapolis and on the field work will begin up there on Thursday. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very busy Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys for hanging out with us here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. And thank you to Mia O'Brien for joining us tonight. Thank you to Scott Johnson of Channel 4, the local station. He has a brand new wrestling podcast, pro wrestling podcast starting up. They're on newsforjacks.com. Their debut episode drops tomorrow. Be sure and check Scott Johnson's new wrestling podcast out. Also want to say a big, big thank you to Irish Chauffel of warchant.com as Florida State begins spring football inside of a week. And boy, Michael Alford, the AD, they're voicing his displeasure with the financial discrepancies between the ACC and some other conferences, particularly including the Big Ten and the SEC. And then finally, Jason Fitzgerald, OverTheCap.com. Always appreciate Jason taking time out. What is a very busy time of year for him. He's always kind enough to make time for us here on Hacker After Dark. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Wednesday, and we'll do it all over again. Dylan Denmark was your producer Tonight, Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green and Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Tuesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Wednesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.